and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Happy Resurrection Day. Yeah, He is risen. Thank you for that. Uh, man, you guys look good uh, out there with pretty dresses and suits. And I tried to wear a Hawaiian shirt today. BB said no. She said, you're putting a suit on, big boy. So I got this suit on, and uh, this is how I will look, um, I guess, in my casket someday. So I, but, um, well, it's Resurrection Day. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the grave. And after his crucifixion and death and on a Roman cross, they wrapped his corpse in a grave, grave clothes, laid him in a borrowed tomb just before sunset, on the Sabbath of Passover, there his cold, dead body lay, a large stone rolled in front of the entrance so that no one could get in or out. And, but on the morning of the third day, Jesus walked out of that tomb alive with a resurrected body. By the way, the stone in front of the grave was not to keep Jesus in. It was to uh, rolling it away it was to let us in there to see it. Um, it wasn't just to let him out. It was to let us in. It's why we call it Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. It's why we as Christians, we worship now on the first day of the week because our Savior was raised to life on a Sunday. That's why we Christians call Sunday the Lord's Day and Sabbath of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Christ Jesus is what separates Christianity from all other religions. The resurrection of Christ Jesus from the tomb is so very central to our faith. It really is hard to overemphasize the depth and the power and the meaning behind it. Most religions believe in some kind of afterlife. But it's only Christianity that stands alone in the teaching that because Jesus was raised from the dead physically, that his followers will be resurrected from the dead. Amen? However, sometimes Christians can begin to think of our our resurrection as being just some kind of spiritual resurrection and not a physical one. And while certainly it is true, when we are born again and given new life in Christ Jesus, we are spiritually resurrected from spiritual death. It is also just as true that Christians who have trusted Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior will be physically resurrected from the dead. Well, I want us to do something a little bit different today. We normally are in the Gospel of John going verse by verse in that series through that wonderful book. Uh, so that we call it so that uh, you, we may believe, so that you may believe. And we'll get back to that soon. I promised you that. But today, as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, we're going to study a key passage that some call the resurrection chapter. Now, this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Brother Wade mentioned. It doesn't describe the resurrection of Jesus as the four Gospels do, but rather it explores the reason why the resurrection is so important. 
Usually we try to take just a few verses at a time and we go slow through the gospel of John. But today what we're going to do is we're going to take a lot of verses. Uh, We're not going to go slow uh, and we're going to go kind of fast. You're going to have to hang on. So go ahead and let's get our Bibles out. Let's get going, get something to write with for for you Toy Story fans. uh, Ride like the wind, bullseye, because we're about to go here. Before we get to our main passage, though, let's stop over for just a few moments in Acts chapter 17. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. Let me give you the setting for this story kind of before the story. The Apostle Paul has arrived at Athens, Greece, on his first missionary journey there to share the story of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we simply call the gospel. Now, Athens is a major city of both trade and, and especially influence, and it's a real center for philosophy, uh, or at least it was in that day. And what you need to know is that this trip is probably the first time the gospel has been preached in Athens. It's an unreached city, and the apostle Paul was supposed to meet with some friends there, so some of his co-workers, but they hadn't arrived yet to the city. So he starts off on his own. Now, the Apostle Paul's MO, his modus operandi, is when he comes to a new city, he starts by going to the local Jewish tabernacle, and he usually gets thrown out of there pretty quick for preaching the gospel. And so that's what he does first. He goes there, starts to preach, but then he goes to the local marketplace, probably because he's already been thrown out of the synagogue for preaching Jesus. Now, some local Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were there listening to him preach in the local marketplace. And what he says intrigues them. Because no one ever talks about the resurrection of the dead in Greek society. They've just never even heard of the concept. So these philosophers take Paul to a place called the Areopagus there in Athens. The Romans call this Mars Hill. Now the Areopagus, you can see, is a large rock. This is what it looks like today. This is not a photograph from the Old Testament or new here. Uh, This is what it looks like. This is this giant rock outcropping where the local Athenians would gather together and some foreigners and people would come and they would Well, philosophize. They would share different ideas about life and religion. Now, the place was this strange combination of both philosophies, ideas about life, and then religious thinking. And these philosophers that had brought Paul there want Paul to expand on what he has to say about this Jesus character that he's been talking about. So they They stand him up there. They all gather around, sit down and listen to him. They say, tell us about this strange idea that you have. So the apostle Paul lets loose with the gospel. And he's rocking it. All these guys are listening to to him until he gets to verse 30 of Acts 17. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Now this freaks the, the Greeks out. They want to hear more of him, some of them do, and then some of them don't want to hear any more. It scares them so bad about Jesus being raised from the dead. But some say, we'll hear more about this. But I, I think that is more like, you know, when you see those auditions and they, like on American Idol, they go, hey, thank you, but we'll call you. It's that kind of thing. They're saying, Jesus, we'll get back to you on this, but we... This just scares us too bad. Because the Greek way of thinking is that the body is this prison that the soul is trapped in. And your soul could only be freed by death of the physical body. You understand the Greek way of thinking? So the idea of the resurrection of the body is centered on the gospel message was repugnant to these Greek philosophers. They thought it's a horrible idea. Now, I want us to, what I want us to see is that right here at the heart of the gospel message is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But not only that, the resurrection of Jesus leads directly to our resurrection, both spiritually now and physically in the future. And yet the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is often just simply kind of glossed over, simply not studied by Christians. And yet it is central both to the gospel and to our lives in the future. So let's drill down. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you will. This book is written by the Apostle Paul as well to the church at Corinth. That's why it bears that name. It's a letter that he sends to the Christians. And then the pastor would read this letter, similar to what I'm doing today. What you need to know about this chapter is that false teaching had started to spread in the Corinthian church that said there is no resurrection from the dead. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Paul writes, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which, I re, uh, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's about to remind the believers, here's the gospel. He sets it up that this gospel that he preached is the instrument that God is going to, to use to bring them to salvation, to saving belief in Jesus. It's a supernatural thing, he says. Now notice that Paul says, you receive the gospel. What does Paul mean here? He's saying that you Corinthian believers, you believed, you began to follow Christ Jesus because of the gospel message. When the apostle Paul says this gospel in which you stand now in faith, he's saying you are keeping on, keeping on. You are walking in faith. But then check this out. Verse two says, by which you have or which you are being saved. Notice the present tense of being saved. Grab a hold of this. This is the, the gospel Paul says is still working in their life even now. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now watch closely because this is what we've been studying in John six thirty seven. You knew I'd connect it back somehow, didn't you? When Jesus teaches us about preserving grace. Well, the doctrines of grace, 
the doctrine of eternal security, of faith for those that have been born again and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Their salvation is secure in their resurrection, and the resurrection is certain. Now here's what Paul is getting at. It's not just that the gospel just saved you in the past, he says. It's also that God is using the very same message of the gospel to save you right now as you live your life and you follow Christ in the moment. And not only that, Paul is reminding these believers that the Holy Spirit of God is helping them in Christ to hold fast to the word Paul had preached to them until the very end. The Apostle Paul adds a caveat though, doesn't he? He says right at the end of verse 2, unless you believed in vain, he's referring to the false believers, false Christians that may be among them. In other words, it It doesn't work for those that are false believers, but for true believers in Christ Jesus. Paul points out this, write this down. Through hearing and believing the gospel message, believers in Christ are saved, are being saved, and will be saved. Through hearing and believing the gospel, believers in Christ are saved, are being saved, and will be saved. For you see, we are saved when we are regenerated and born again, then repent of our unbelief and believe in Christ Jesus. We are baptized, we begin to follow Christ. What Paul is getting at here is that sometimes, though, we think of our salvation as a one-time event that happened in the past, don't we? But that's not the picture of true salvation, Paul says. While it is true that we have been saved, that salvation process keeps going though. We live our lives staying repentant, constantly trying to follow Christ Jesus. Here's another way to say it. Same thing, but I'm just showing you a different way. Believers have been saved, justified in the past. Believers are being saved, sanctified, present. Believers will be saved, glorified in the future. That's talking about heaven. You catch on? Believers have been saved, justified in the past. We were born again. Believers are being saved. That's our life right now. That's sanctification. Believers will be saved in the future. We will be glorified. And believers have been saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from even the presence of sin. And it's, uh, it's at the future point when we're saved from the presence of sin that Paul is going to talk about later in the passage. Now the power of resurrection, that's the power. But it's then here that Paul reminds us of the gospel, that gospel. Now watch closely at verse number three. He begins to say... He says, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says, I delivered of first importance, meaning that this is the closed-handed doctrine. It is the highest critical level of doctrine for us to believe. Or you can say that this this is what we have to believe to be a Christian. This is what we place our faith in. 
This is the first essential fact of the gospel that you must believe in your heart to be saved. Now, that Christ died for our sins. Whose sins? Our sins. Who is the our Paul is addressing? Does it mean the whole whole world? No. How do we know that? Because not the, the whole world's not saved. Because then the whole world would have their sins paid for on the cross. So who is Paul addressing here? The believers in Corinth. He's writing them the letter, right? And, and us, believers who have been born again and believe. He's talking to all believers. Jesus doesn't die for those that don't believe. Now hang on. He dies for all those that will believe that have been called to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then look what it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. We talked about the Old Testament, wouldn't we? In other words, part of the gospel message is that we believe that He is the one, the promised one of the old that would come and rescue His people from their sin. But then check out verse number four. Paul continues with the core of the gospel message here, referring to Jesus. He says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. His death that we remembered on Friday night in this very room is key. His death is key. You have to believe that his death physically occurred if you're going to believe in his saving work of paying for our sins on the cross. And if you're going to believe in the resurrection, you have to believe first that Jesus died, right? This is why the word buried is so important and essential to the gospel message. Saying Jesus was buried in reference to the testimony of, the, of Joseph, of uh, Arimathea, and Nicodemus who buried Jesus and that he was stone cold dead. Now let me say, there are some liberal theologians and, that try to explain Jesus' resurrection away, saying that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just kind of fainted. They say his resurrection from the dead is simply folklore and we don't, don't need it anyway. By the way, they like to come up with all kinds of ideas that the Bible doesn't support at all. One called the swoon theory. That's that he fainted somehow. He swooned. That's what it means from the pain. But in the, in the cool of the tomb, they think he wakes back up. Now, sometime I'll address this in more detail. But to be honest, it's such a laughable story, the, the uh, theory. I don't want to even take time to describe it, except to say, you're telling me that professional killers, i.e. the Roman army, that crucifies people every day, they literally put thousands of people to death. They didn't really know when someone was dead. And that final spear thrust up through his ribs, through his uh, lungs, and into his heart sack, that didn't kill him? That's ridiculous. Okay, I had to talk about it a little bit. All right, now, now back to the gospel. Paul is reminding the Corinthians. Paul is talking proof now, right at the first, of the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So if you're not clear on the resurrection, if you may not believe in it, here's some proof for you. I put in the orange words here starting in verse 5, and that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Jesus appears bodily, physically, to all these individuals, then these small groups, and then to this crowd of 500 men. So we're probably talking with women there as well. At least 1,000, maybe is up to 1,500. And we know from the Gospels that Jesus was physically alive. It's not like he was some kind of floating ghost around. After his resurrection, these eyewitnesses ate with Jesus. He ate. They watched him. They touched him. They hugged him. They walked with him. They talked with him for hours. They, they communicated in long conversations with him over 40 days before he ascended back into heaven. Now, here's what Paul is getting at with the Corinthian church members. Some of the believers in the church in Corinth had let this false doctrine creep in that says we, the believers, aren't raised back to life physically, just spiritually. By the way, this is what I was talking about earlier that sometimes seeps into the the church. It's wrong, it's bad, but it's also being taught uh, in this church, in this Corinthian church. So the apostle Paul lays out how the false doctrine cannot be true based on what he just told them. So look at verse 12 now. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's saying, you can't have it both ways. If you heard the gospel message that Christ died and was raised to life on the third day, his bodily resurrection that Sunday morning is part of the core message of the gospel. Now, remember, he says that The physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead is of first importance. Paul presses his case here in verse 13. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Paul's conveying to them this truth that if the dead are not raised to life, talking bodily, beginning with Jesus, then there is no truth in the gospel itself. But then he he drops a bomb on them. Here it is, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jesus' physical resurrection from the grave, I'm telling you, it's right at the heart of the gospel message. It's not, if it's not true, then none of this that we do means anything at all. Are you getting the gravity of what we're talking about? By the way, there are so 
many liberal progressive churches that say the resurrection is not real. And it doesn't have to be. They deny the atoning work of the blood of Christ. They deny his bodily resurrection. They, they pay some cheap lip service to the word resurrection. But they teach that it didn't really happen. And it was just folklore and it was not real. My question to these false preachers is why do you even have a church? It's like your church is just a great big why bother? Like, what's the purpose of attending your church if there is no salvation and if you think Jesus wasn't real and if you think there was no resurrection? Give up. Because without the gospel and the real meaning of the cross, death and resurrection of Jesus from the grave with the blood atonement of Christ, you're just another cult and just another false religion. Harsh words, I know, but hear me out. These are false teachers that deny the resurrection of my Savior. And they are trying to persuade people to follow them. And you know where they're going? Straight to hell. Without the real gospel. Now Paul switches gears here in verse 20. And he changes from if the resurrection is not real to the truth that Jesus has been raised. So look at this at verse 20, the first part of it. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, he has been raised to life. Amen? All those people that witnessed the resurrected Jesus can attest to Jesus being alive and how it changed their life. What's amazing here is that after seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead, the apostles go from being scared, huddled in a room, thinking they were going to be crucified next, to after seeing Jesus, they take the message of the gospel around the world. They become bold as the Holy Spirit moves in them. They're not afraid anymore. And listen, we believe that most of the apostles, other than Our brother John we've been studying about. Most of the apostles die a martyr's death preaching the gospel. Penniless. They don't recant. They don't pull back all the way to suffering and death. People will give up their lives if they believe in a cause. They will. It's rare, but they will. They'll even die for something that they believe in. But what they won't do is give up their life for a lie. A known lie. If someone knows something to be alive, they won't give up their life For a lie, especially one that doesn't make them rich and powerful or gain them anything in this world. But the apostles, they willingly go and share the gospel, even though it cost them their very lives because they saw, they experienced the resurrected Christ Jesus. Now check out the second half of that verse. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, He's saying Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Like in the harvest, the very first fruits gathered. That's the euphemism that uh, for those that have died, those that have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first fruits. Think about that. Jesus died a physical death, right? He was raised to life physically. So Paul is saying that for Christ followers that have died and will die in the future, that's you and me, they will be raised to life physically like Jesus. He is the first, the others will follow. 
Praise God. In other words, they will be raised to life just like Jesus. That's our hope. But Paul doesn't stop there. He opens up a new aspect here in verse 21. For as by a man came death. What's he talking about here? What's Paul talking about here? The doctrine of original sin. That the first man sinned. And therefore all mankind, all men and women fell as a result of that original sin. Meaning that when Adam and Eve broke God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, they eat, they sinned, and the world fell. We find that described in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When the, the first man, Adam, broke God's command and sinned, the world fell into sin. All of creation. Original sin. Not that we are all guilty of that same first sin, but that we are all born separated from God as a result of that first sin. We are born spiritually dead, born into a sinful fallen world with a total inability to connect to God. We are dead in our sin. And the word word dead simply means what? Separated. It means separated. A physical death means a person's soul has been separated from their physical body. And spiritual death means a person's soul has been then separated from God's spirit. That's what Paul is referring to here. That before we are saved, we are cut off from God. Unable to come to him on our own because of the sin, that original sin. The world fell. But God sends a rescue mission. Amen? Who is it? Jesus. His son, Jesus, to take on the flesh of mankind, to live a sinless life in this world, to die in our place, to take the sins of those who trust him as Savior, to pay for those sins on the cross, to become a substitution and to pay our debt of sin. So in this first part of verse 20, as the human man came, that first man came death, talking about Adam. Come sinning into our life. So we all descend from that first man and his wife Eve, don't we? Look at the entire verse. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's what we're celebrating today. Another man has come that brings the resurrection from the dead. And who is it? Jesus. Now, what has Jesus brought? resurrection from the dead. Now notice that Paul doesn't say so that you will never face death physically. Now watch this. He's saying that all men are dead because they descend from Adam. Jesus brings them life. He lifts the curse of sin for all those who believe and trust in him as Savior and Lord. But don't misunderstand. It's not just that we are alive spiritually. We are promised that we will be made alive physically in the future. Paul is making clear the certainty of a believer's physical resurrection from the dead. But who will be made alive? Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ... Shall uh, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Who is the all Paul is referring to? Well, those that follow uh, 
Those that follow Adam and stay in sin, all of them die a spiritual and physical death and face judgment and hell, don't they? And all, A-L-L, that are in Christ are the ones that believe and follow Christ. The Bible says those are the elect. That's the word that the New Testament uses, which means the chosen ones from eternity past. Those that God the Father has given the Son that Jesus teaches us about in John 6 we've looked at. Those that have and will believe in Jesus Christ who have been made alive by the spiritual, uh, Spirit of God. We are made alive spiritually when we are regenerated, born again. Then we believe and we convert and follow Christ by repenting of our sins and being baptized. But when will we be made alive physically? When the believers, when will believers be made alive and resurrected? Look at verse 23. But each in his own order, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. If Christ is the first fruits of those that have been made alive, then it's at the second coming that we are made alive and raised physically from the dead. When, when Jesus returns to establishes his kingdom, but notice what that very first part of the verse when it says, but each in his own order. What Paul is saying here is that there is an order of when people die. The deeper meaning here is that God is not only sovereign when our life has been saved. God is also sovereign in our death and the time and even the way that we die. I know this is, is a pretty morbid thought, but hey, it's me. So hang on. The truth is that our days are numbered. That day of our death is set. It is like we are on a great big conveyor belt of death. Now listen to what the author of Hebrews teaches us in verse 27. Hebrews 9. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now place your hand over your heart for just a moment. Feel your heartbeat. If you can't feel your heartbeat, we have a medical team One of those things that can go clear. Do you feel your heart beating? Folks, your heart will stop beating one day. You will face a death and after that comes judgment. But for those that are in Christ Jesus, for those that believe your sins have been atoned for, they have been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus will take you into his presence at your death. When that little heart of yours stops beating, it has a certain number of beats. It's counting down. We don't know how long it has, but God does. But for those that don't believe in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, they face judgment. They face hell. By the way, do you know who teaches on judgment and hell more than anyone else in Scripture? Jesus. 
But for believers, they have been given the righteousness of Christ Jesus so that when God looks at their lives, he doesn't see the sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus. The promise here is that Jesus will come again a second time. He will come for those that believed in him as Christ, the Son of God. Not to pay for their sin that time. Your sin's been paid for. When he comes again, it is to take his people home to heaven. And look at that last phrase at the end of verse 28. When he comes, it's not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Can I just ask you, are you eagerly waiting for him? Are you? Doing what he has called you to do, looking to the sky for his return, looking forward to when you cross over in your death into the very presence of Christ Jesus. Are you looking forward to that day to save, uh, to save you? To share this life-giving message of the gospel right where he has placed you with your school, your work, your neighbors, your family, your friends. Let's return again to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after uh, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. You will face death. Your family will face death. Your kids your spouse, your friends, your co-workers. And I'm convinced from Scripture that God's sovereignty means that we can't live one more minute longer than God determines. And we cannot die one minute sooner than God decides. But we don't have to fear that as believers because we have already seen Jesus die and come back and promise us that we will come back alive physically. It does bring up the question, what will our new resurrected bodies look like? What will they be like? How will that happen? Skip down to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. The apostle Paul is using this analogy of a seed being planted in the ground. The seed is planted, the seed itself dies, but it brings forth new life and a new plant. Two concepts you need to see here that Paul is relating with this seed idea. Think of the seed as a tree seed, seed of a tree. First, we, when a seed is planted, the new tree grows up is the same type as the seed. It's not different, it's not a different kind of tree. You don't plant an apple seed and and then... And then an orange tree pops up. You get an apple tree when you plant an apple seed. What Paul is telling us is that we will have a physical body and it's still us. We will still look like ourselves, but be different. How do I know that? Through scripture. What will it be like? I have no idea. But with a new and improved body, people will be able to know us. A new body like Jesus' body. They knew him right away. The second thing we want to see here is Paul's analogy of the seed is that we will not sin anymore. We will be in perfect fellowship with God. Sin will be gone. Praise God. Temptation to even sin will be gone. Now, how will that happen? 
continuing with the analogy of the seed of our old dead bodies that we're sitting here in, dying and being placed in the ground. Paul says this in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Although on one hand, people will still be able to recognize us and know us, that it's us, we will be very different in that when we will be raised in power and glory. Look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Here's the thing I want us to understand. We were created to always be in a physical body. That has a spiritual aspect to it. The spiritual part of us is what allows us to connect and to fellowship with God. Sin took that away from us in Adam. Jesus makes us alive in Christ spiritually. Right now on this side of death and eternity, we still live in our old bodies that still want sin. That wrestle with temptation to do evil. I wrestle with that just like you do. Remember Martin Luther's quote, he said, Believers are simultaneously justified and sinners. For Christians, we have a new spirit from being born again in Christ. Now we need a new body. One that doesn't want the things of the old world, the sins. One that doesn't get faint. Listen to how the apostle sums up this passage Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as in the man of heaven, so also those are of who are of heaven. This is clearly, clearly talking about Jesus right here as the second Adam. He replaces the first Adam. The first Adam that we descend from, our forefather, was made out of dust. Our old bodies now are made from the dust of this fallen world. But through Christ's resurrection, we are promised that we will have a new body, not one of dust of the earth, but a body from heaven. Colossians 1.13 says, God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness in Adam and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I love that. We are now adopted children and Jesus is our elder brother. Look at verse 49. Just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What is the image of the man of dust? Sin. We have the mark of Adam on us right now. We are sinful. We want sin. But in heaven, we will be like Jesus. We will be perfectly bearing the sinless, righteous nature of Jesus. This is a mystery for sure, but one that we can hold on to in faith that one day, one day, one day we will finally be made complete. A question might come to mind. Well, then why do we have to die? Why can't we just go to heaven like this? Can't Jesus just change us? 
The answer is in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. These bodies won't do in heaven. They simply won't do. They simply cannot handle the things we need them to handle, the joys, the glory of heaven. These can't handle it. But the question is, why do we need to die? Well, the answer to that is that we don't all die the way you think we do. We all die, but listen to this in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, talking about death, but we all shall be changed. But we all shall shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, this perishable body, This perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now we could start a whole other sermon right here and I'm tempted to. (laughs) But I don't want to let it go unsaid that this is talking about the return of Christ Jesus. Now I believe and teach that this is clearly referring to what pastors and theologians call the rapture. I believe that. But even if you have a different end times uh, belief system, all of them agree that Christ will come back. It's just when. The trumpet will sound and those that are dead in Christ will rise first. The time that Jesus will call the disciples home to heaven and those uh, will not die, but like Paul said, they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, resurrected and given a new body we've just been talking about. If this body won't go to heaven, you'll get a new one. By the way, I think that day is coming soon, don't you? Do you think that last day is coming soon? I do. The Apostle Paul describes what a twinkling of an, apt, uh, of an eye looks like in the rapture. Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Amen. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is pain in death, isn't there? When we lose loved ones, when we lose friends, But for those in Christ Jesus, it is a temporary sadness because we know in verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, when we keep our eyes on Jesus as our hope in both life and death, what we're saying is that hope is in the fact that he will call us home to resurrect our old dead bodies from the grave and give us a new body in him. You you see why Resurrection Sunday is so important? Because not only do we have, we celebrate the physical resurrection of our Savior, Jesus, from the dead. But we celebrate the spiritual life we now have in Him. 
At the same time, looking forward to one day celebrating our resurrection of a new body in heaven with Christ Jesus. Let this passage of the resurrection and what it means be a reminder to us. That is, we live in the in-between of having life in Christ, but still being in this old body that desires sin. We have the hope, we have the belief that faith, that soon we will be home. That even though life is hard now as we follow Christ Jesus, we know that Jesus has been resurrected. And so we will have, we have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is our hope that we've placed our faith in. It means that what we're doing now in this life, although difficult, full of suffering at times, there is a day that we can count on that we can finally be free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray right now for those that don't believe. We pray that you would call them to life through your gospel. And for those of you that don't believe, if you would just look up here, you believers, you just pray. To have your sins forgiven, to be called to life in Christ, means that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That the Father raised him from the dead. Do you believe that? Well, confess it with your mouth. For that's what salvation is. Is being born again. Believing. Given that faith to believe. Would you believe? Would you confess that? Pray this with me. I believe God that Jesus is your son. That you have raised him from the dead. I put my hope and trust in him. As Savior and Lord. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.